Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. More than just words on a page, far beyond just recitation and nothing less than a unifying tradition, the Pledge of Allegiance is ingrained in our American brains at a very young age. My own three-year-old can successfully recite the pledge with ease, albeit maybe a few extra syllables and her own three-year-old style added in. It's recited before school starts, before meetings, some sporting events, and it's even well-known internationally. But here's a question. We know the pledge, but do we know the person? the person who wrote the pledge. I didn't, and my guess is you may not know either. And just like every one of our episodes and, well, history in general, there's way more to the story. Find out who this person is, the local history ties, and some questionable controversy behind the story on this episode of The Missing Chapter. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Missing Chapter Podcast. I'm Phil Hornder here with my good friend and esteemed colleague, Phil Schaff. Hello there. Phil, we are sitting down to one of our favorites. I think we probably drank this first in season one. Yes. It's the Utica Coffee Roasting Company's very own Dark Adirondack. Oh, yeah. It's a good it's one. been a while, but um, you brought it in today. Cheers. Cheers. You brought it in today, and uh, it's like getting a visit from an old friend. It's amazing. It, yeah, it, it really is. Sometimes you just have to go back to the basics. Yeah. You love your flavored coffees, mm-hmm. but when it comes to just the coffee flavor, it's dark and erotic all the way. And speaking of coming back, it's almost like fall's coming back to upstate New York because it's it's getting a little bit chilly out. So having a nice, you know, hot cup of coffee and sitting down to to a good podcast. Yeah. It just feels it feels right for, it for autumn. It does. And um, you know, we have some really, really good episodes to kick off season three. We were just talking about how last year we did kind of the conceptualized theme in October around Halloween. I think we're yep. going to try and do that again. And um, again, if you guys, any sort of comments that you want to leave us for us, you know, in our email box, the missing chapter podcast uh, at gmail.com uh, reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought that up too, yeah. because I wanted to, to remind myself to, to say this. Uh, don't forget, we've actually updated our description in, in all of our Spotify and Apple uh, episodes for season three, where now you have a direct link to record a message for us. So awesome. uh, if you wouldn't mind, we would love to have you featured on an episode. So give us uh, your name, where you're from, and your favorite episode. Right. And uh, we'll, we'll throw you in um, because it's a recorded message. We could, we could tie it right into one of our future episodes. Right. And speaking of incorporating <laughs> you, the listener, into our future episodes, we are on the eve of revealing the winner of our big hometown history competition. Some awesome Some submissions. Some awesome submissions. Yep. This was not an easy task for, for Phil and I, um, but we, we feel really good in the selection that we have. And, yep. and I, I think next week we'll, we'll do the unveiling. We want to Absolutely. contact that person ahead of time. Um, so keep listening. And, uh, and, and coast, that ought to be fun. Coast-to-coast yeah. submissions, by the way. Yes. Which was yes. very humbling. This is great. Yeah. All right, so Phil, let's talk about today's episode. Yeah, I'm going to hand the reins over to you, Phil. You're excited about this I, one. I am. I think a lot of these episodes, and I think just if you're a lifelong learner like you and I both are, mm-hmm. 
I think there's a just a general curiosity being a history teacher. When I don't know something, I, we have the power of Google in our, our pockets, right? So sometimes it, it, a lot of these episodes just start with a simple question. And I remember um, a little while back over summer, uh, I, I don't know how this even conjured up in my brain, but who wrote the pledge? Who wrote the Pledge of Allegiance? I mean, you, you know the Francis Scott Keys, you know what I mean? So you know those anthems, but we know the pledge, but do we know the person who wrote the pledge? I do not. And, and that I was something I was almost right. embarrassed as a, as a history teacher. How do I not know that? And mm-hmm. why don't more people know that? Because immediately you point. think national anthem, Francis Scott Key, mm-hmm. but why, why isn't it the pledge uh, that same notoriety? So in my research, blown away. And that's the focus of today's episode. Sounds good. Okay. So the author of the pledge, oddly enough, was born in upstate New York. Really? Yes. In a small town southwest of Rochester. So for those of you that, that uh, maybe are new to the podcast, we're in Canajahari, New York right now in central New York. Uh, Rochester is about four and a half hours away from, uh, from us, west, westward. Um, so he's in the mid-1800s, born in, in southwest town uh, of Rochester, New York. And he's a Baptist minister's son. Okay, pretty ordinary upbringing being a PK. For those of you who don't know what a PK is, it's a pastor's kid. Uh, he eventually followed his father's footsteps and began preaching at churches in New York and Boston. Okay. Um, he was getting a little restless. I think it was just his personality type. He was just wanted to be doing a lot of different things. Um, he needed to change. He was offered a job at a family magazine with a half a million subscribers, a pretty popular magazine, uh, when he was 37 years old. His job at the magazine's uh, was at the magazine's promotions department. And his boss came to him and said, listen, you're really good with words. Uh, You've done a great job so far, but here's what you got to do. We got to come up with some sort of patriotic program for schools around the country. The only stipulations, though, was that the program had to fall on the opening ceremonies for the Columbian Exposition in October 1892, which for you math majors out there was the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival in the New World. Okay. Uh, he not only did a great job arranging that, he even lobbied Congress for a resolution uh, which, you know, endorsed this this ceremony, okay? So he wasn't done there. So he did a great job so far. He's organized this whole thing. Um, he was now supposed to come up with a new anthem, a new salute to the flag for school children to recite in unison, Okay. So just like any approaching deadline, the closer it got, the more pressure mounted, and it still just wasn't polished, I guess you could say, uh, or even finished right. for, at, at that point. So he got he got pretty nervous. He went to his boss and he told him, listen, uh, I don't know if this is going to be done in time. I'm going to need your help. But once again, the boss was like, listen, I, I chose you because you have this just knack for words, for getting your point across. You can do this. Um, so one brutally hot August night, he threw some words down on the page, going back to his initial goal of invoking some sort of allegiance when reading and reciting the salute. Remember, it's for this patriotic program, right? Now, don't forget, too, that this is taking place all you know in and around the time period of the Civil War. So when he began writing this, the war was still fresh in people's hearts, being only about 25 years or so ago at that point. So he wanted this allegiance to be almost a response to the war itself. Uh, a united like loyalty cry, if you will. So as he sat down at his desk, the opening words said this, ready? I pledge allegiance to my flag. And then he used that and began to form, you know, some more things on his paper. Okay. Now, according to the Smithsonian, 
he had spent two hours of what he called, quote, arduous mental labor. And at that really hot August night produced a succinct and rhythmic, because it's got to be mm-hmm. kind of rhythmic, which we'll get to in a minute too, uh, tribute very close to the one we know today. So it said this, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. He later added the two before the republic uh, and to the republic for better cadence. So a little right. bit more rhythm. But that's that's the original script of what he came up with? That is the original. Because it really, when you said it, it was adjusted or tweaked a little bit, I mean, that's verbatim. Pretty close. Pretty close to what we right. know it as. But like that, that cadence is also very important. Absolutely. If you're going to be repeating yeah. something and, and expected to memorize it at some point, maybe. And what a challenge, though, too, because th- this is something, you know, that, that children need to recite. At the same mm-hmm. time, adults need to recite. And it's this uniting cry. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be emotional. It's got to have an allegiance. It's got to have a cadence to it, a rhythm. I mean, the, the verbiage has to be right. Yes. there too. Yes. You know, you think of the word indivisible. Right. Right. You know, that, that's the word that kind of I think. With, with younger children, that's going to be the one that they're going to, you <laughs> yeah. know, maybe trip over. Absolutely. So sure enough, as good as he is with words, his boss was was spot on. He, he, he nailed it. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it was a hit. Um, and so was his Columbus Day celebration. So millions of children took part in the 1892 Columbus Day ceremony. And he heard the pledge for the first time that day, October 21st. Shout out to my sister, Wendy. That is her birthday. Although she wasn't born in 1892 when this took place. Um, but 4,000 high school boys in Boston roared it out together, which was obviously such a uniting uh, moment for him and for everybody in the nation. But oddly enough, though, just after the after the pledge took root, people started to edit it and add some things themselves. So according to Smithsonian Magazine, in 1923, a national flag conference presided over by the American Legion and the Daughters of the American Revolution ordained that, quote, my flag should be changed to the flag of the United States for fear of, and I think this is interesting, of immigrant children remaining unclear just which flag they were saluting. Was it their old flag, the new flag that they're now immigrating into? Okay. Which I, I think has some merit to, you know? Um, so the following year, the flag conference refined the phrase even further, adding of America to the, to the pledge. And it remained that way, essentially unchanged until his death in 1931. But then in 1942, the pledge's 50th anniversary, Congress adopts it as part of a national flag code. And you see, by then, the pledge had already taken on a pretty powerful stance because some state legislatures already required public school students to uh, recite it each school day by law, even though there were individuals, by the way, and groups that challenged those laws. And I'll give you an example. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, they maintained that reciting the pledge violated their prohibition against venerating a graven image. In 1943, the Supreme Court ruled in the Witnesses' favor, undergoing that the um, the free speech are, uh, principle that no school child should be compelled to recite the pledge. Some more changes come down the pike and, and shape it some more. About a decade later, the Knights of Columbus and, other, and others got Congress to approve the addition of the words, quote, under God within the phrase, one nation indivisible. And on June 14th, 1954, President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed the bill into law. All right, now, we had all those details, but you're probably wondering why I haven't mentioned this person's name. And maybe some of you, like like me when I'm listening to podcasts, if I think I missed part of the story, before I can go on, I have to go back to the beginning and see like you know where that missing link was. Well, you don't need to rewind and go back. 
because I didn't mention his name yet because that's part of the recent debate. Okay. Now, if you're local to us here in central New York, you'll want to keep listening too because I have two more twists and yet another local tie to our region. And we'll drop that nugget for you after the break. You know, Phil, I, I, you think of the pledge today, and sadly, I think anytime someone mentions the, the Pledge of Allegiance, it either gets focused on should, be, should kids be required to say it, yep. and should it include the words under God? Right. And listen, you can have that debate. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about living in this country. But, you know, having friends and, and people I know who immigrated to this country and became citizens, mm-hmm. the importance of that pledge to that, you know, life altering change of becoming a U.S. citizen, you know, it's to see how important it is and how symbolic it is to them. The focus should be on that. I mean, it's it really is part of you think of the national anthem, you think of the pledge. We're proud of our country. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I think that kind of gets lost in some of the the controversial, quote unquote, controversial, debatable elements to it. Well, it's funny you mention that because a lot of my research when I did, uh, you know, this this preparation for this podcast, a lot of the research that was involved it, it did include that highly debated topic mm-hmm. of whether or not under God should be included. And one of the things that I've seen overwhelmingly was that it was not a declaration of faith for um, people of different religions. You know, if, if you have you have atheists in this country right. that, that don't want to say under God. But one thing that, that it was mentioned throughout is the fact that it's not a declaration of faith, more so is it uh, a uniting cry that we're under God, not like believing in God. Mm-hmm. So you still have the ability to, uh, you still have that option, obviously, but you know, America welcomes in all sorts of creeds and colors. Absolutely. So I, I thought that was an interesting, interesting point. And that's something I never really, I've never really seen before, but the Supreme Court did have a, a little take on that also. Um, but listen, I mean, you're holding back on. I'm holding back a little on bit the here. Biggest element, arguably, to this podcast. So I think, yeah, I'm going to stop talking, and I want you to get to the point where, well, the unveiling of who this individual was. I'm, I'm almost embarrassed that I didn't know this piece of history here because um, I live in Whitesboro, New York, outside mm-hmm. of Utica. It's a suburb outside of Utica. Um, you know, my mother-in-law is from Rome, New York. Uh, my father-in-law is from the Westmoreland area. So and. and Shout out to Mitch because he he loves listening to the podcast. He loves his history. Uh, so I got talking with him a little bit after I discovered this little local nugget, and I think this is this is pretty amazing. So the name of this man on this uh, this podcast today is Francis Bellamy, and there is I don't want to even say it's controversy, but there there is kind of a little bit of a question mark mm-hmm. uh, regarding not just this man but the whole coinage of the Pledge of Allegiance. So let, let's talk about this. So. Quite recently, in fact, some historians at the New York Times found some evidence that Francis Bellamy's true original authorship has maybe come into question. Okay. Um, Not necessarily there's proof that he didn't write it uh, because we know he penned it. But every single word, was it his own? That's the question. Here's where, where, where we come into play. As we said in the beginning, his goal was to come up with a pledge or a salute. Uh, that encouraged patriotism, right, around the nation during the Columbus celebrations. We also know he suffered from a little writer's block Mm. by the very conversations he had with his boss, right? Um, Some historians have claimed that Bellamy actually orchestrated a contest 
by his own magazine to promote these American values. And the claimed author of that oath actually originated in 1890 when a 13-year-old Kansas boy said he submitted it to a contest organized by Bellamy's magazine. The odd part, the name of that 13-year-old boy was Frank Bellamy. Not Francis Bellamy like the original author, totally unrelated. So we have Francis Bellamy who is credited of, uh, for, for writing the original pledge. He has some writer's block and now the new historians are coming forward and saying, hey, listen, we found evidence that he did this contest and there's a boy by the name of Frank Bellamy who said he submitted this contest um, proposal coming up with this you know, Pledge of Allegiance. All right. And they think that Francis Bellamy took some of Frank Bellamy's words. So the chances of that seem astronomical, that they would have the is same that crazy first or what? and last name, right. number one. Yeah, it is crazy. Number two. So they're not making the claim that, the, that Frank Bellamy, the boy, wrote the whole thing right he should just probably be included almost as a co-author uh, maybe that he contributed maybe yep okay um because there there are question marks regarding some of you know during that writer's block period mm -hmm. how did he go from having this writer's block to you know those arduous hours in that hot august night all of a sudden boom he gets it and now okay. he's got this pretty much cadenced um recitation of this of this pledge so that that is that does come into question. Um, so, on top of all of that, I think something else that we need to give him credit for, though, at least, is that he helped convince President Benjamin Harrison to issue a proclamation declaring Columbus Day a holiday. So that's something else too that I don't think a lot of people know is that one of the first Columbus Day holidays was because of this guy Francis Bellamy. Uh, President Benjamin Harrison issued a proclamation in 1892, quote, recommending to the people the observance in all their uh, localities of the 400th anniversary of the discovery of America, end quote, and describing Columbus as, quote, the pioneer of progress and enlightenment. But it wasn't until 1937, though, when President Franklin D. Roosevelt proclaimed the Columbus Day a national holiday. But it was largely as a result of this you know, intense lobbying, of course, uh, by certain groups like the Knights of Columbus, which we mentioned earlier. But I told you there was a local nugget. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is where some of my own embarrassment comes in because I have family out that way. I live right. out that way, uh, west of Kennedy Harry. Yeah, you grew up there. Right. So <clears throat> he was born in upstate New York, right? We know that. He died in Florida. Okay. Where is he buried? I had to look this up because I, I had to confirm this. He's buried in Rome, New York. He is buried 10 minutes away from my house, and I had no idea. So oddly enough, Last night, before we, we record this, last night, uh, I was having a conversation with my father-in-law. I said, hey, are, are you aware of who wrote the Pledge of Allegiance? He goes, you know, it's on the tip of my tongue. I, I, I know this. And as soon as I said the name, immediately the, the bells start going off. And he's like, oh, my gosh, Phil, that, that, yeah, there's Bellamy Park in Rome, New York. There's a Bellamy Elementary School. So I, I did some research, mm -hmm. and I think a follow-up episode to this is going to come from the, uh, the Rome Historical Society. Because if there's anything that I've gotten wrong here, I obviously want to know. But I also want to get their take on it, too. So I've sent them an email and welcomed them onto the podcast. Um, and hopefully we get an answer back in the next couple of days. Well, Phil, there's some irony here. Because we started this episode talking about hometown history submissions. Yes. And it's almost like you had this epiphany of your own hometown history <laughs> yeah. that you had no idea. Yeah. 
that and why would you if you don't know the name right then you can't make the connection as to why are these things named after bellamy and you obviously wouldn't know where the man is buried right and 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 that was part of my disbelief i, I actually didn't believe what i was reading so mm-hmm. much so that i went to the rome cemetery website and looked up on the directory and sure enough for anybody who's local here and wants to check out the uh author of the pledge of allegiance his remains are at lot 63 row d in rome cemetery you know, unbelievable. Unbelievable is right. So I, I told you I would end you with that uh, with that little local nugget. Um, I do want to end the episode with my daughters, uh, Joella and Mila, five-year-old and three-year-old Joella and Mila, uh, their versions of the Pledge of Allegiance. So audiences around the world, here is Joella and Mila Schaff with Francis Bellamy's Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, I'm Phil Horander. And I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.